It's pretty hard to get to 80 years and not have some bad stretches along the journey. And for David, this is a really difficult stretch, and it's hard to look at. And in chapter 16, he encounters three different people under three different circumstances that are they're difficult. And tonight we're going to look at them because we all deal with difficult people. Number one, we don't want to be the difficult person. We want to be the gracious person. But as Jesus said to the disciples, if the world hates you, don't be surprised because it hates me first and it will hate you. And we know that you don't have to do anything wrong in life to have people come against you. You're going to have enemies no matter what. And then if you're living for the Lord, you'll definitely have enemies because you're living for the Lord. So you don't have to go looking for enemies. They will naturally find you because the devil hates you and hates everything God's doing in your life. And that's just the way it is. And so as we come to David tonight, he's dealing with difficult people in diverse circumstances when he's super vulnerable. And we're going to look at this and learn some lessons tonight from it and ultimately get back on Jesus before we go home to be reminded that he's got our back no matter how evil people are around us. And we're just trying to live the human experience. So chapter 16, so we'll just kind of put over this entire chapter, what can you do? You know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Because as we go through this chapter tonight, you're going to think of people you know, and you just like, what are you going to do? What can you say? What can you do? So when David was a little past the top of the, the Mount of Olives, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple saddled donkeys and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, what do you mean with these? So Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, and where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he's staying in Jerusalem, for he said, Today the house of Israel restored the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, Here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. Well, this is our first character tonight. Ziba, he was the servant of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan, David's best friend. And Jonathan, of course, is the son of the first king, King Saul. There's the link there. And we know that God rejected the house of Saul. We know that Jonathan was a great man of God. He died in combat with his father, uh, Saul, there in the back end of 1 Samuel. We know that Mephibosheth became a cripple when the news came that the grandfather and father had died, and the nurse ran and dropped him, and he was left lame from that incident. We know that David showed kindness to Mephibosheth. We know that David loved Mephibosheth and all the love and friendship that he wanted to have in his relationship with Jonathan. Jonathan is gone. They made a covenant. Jonathan's gone. David directs that energy and all those blessings upon Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, and lets him feast at the king's table and gives him a very highly esteemed position there in the house of David in the city of Jerusalem. So when this event happens where Absalom is coming, and he's come into the city, and David's fleeing, here this guy, he, he, Ziba does this thing where he, he comes and he purposely deceives David. Now, when David comes back from his exile in a couple chapters, we probably won't see it on a Saturday, but we will see it on a Tuesday. When he comes back after Absalom's killed and David comes back, this guy, Ziba, Ziba comes out, and then also Shimei, who's also in this chapter, they come out and they say, we're so sorry for everything we did wrong. And David's like, whatever. In fact, in the case of Ziba, Mephibosheth greets David when he comes back into the land. 
And David says, like, what happened? And Mephibosheth hasn't trimmed himself, groomed himself. His personal hygiene has just gone to pieces. And he's like, Ziba deceived me. He said he was going to get the horse to bring me to you. And instead, he left me behind. And I've been so grieved and so sorrowful ever since this happened. And I've not rested since the day you fled from Jerusalem. So when we read this text tonight, we know later on that when David came back, that we realized this was all a lie, that Ziba's whole thing was a lie. He purposely deceived Mephibosheth. He deceived David concerning Mephibosheth, and he just did what he's going to do. We also find in that text, a couple chapters ahead of here, that he had 15 sons and 20 employees, 20 servants. So Ziba is that kind of guy. He's the kind of guy or the kind of woman who will lie to your face straight up, bold-faced liar. Some people just lie. And, you know, most of us, we might like bend the truth. We might exaggerate something. But most of us coming to church on a Saturday night, we're not going to generally boldface lie. And not just to lie, but to lie to the king, the most powerful man in Israel, to his face, to lie boldly to his face. So this guy, first character we get tonight, he's a boldface liar. That's what he is. He's a bold-faced liar. You, you know this person. You went to school with them. You work with them. They might live in your neighborhood, depending on how big your family is with adults. There's probably one of your siblings might actually be a bold-faced liar. There are random people who will be a bold-faced liar in a court of law. They'll swear under oath, and they'll be a bold-faced liar, and they'll They'll lie for their own objective. We watch people all the time that are famous lie, look straight at a camera, and lie, bold-faced liars. So to say that there are, it's not surprising in our lives that we're impacted by people who would look you in the eyes and straight up lie to you. And this is the context of God's word tonight. This guy is lying straight up, purposely deceiving King David when David is extremely vulnerable, and he has an agenda. Now, these three people we see tonight, they all have different perspectives. This guy, he, he's about, Ziba's about self-agenda. See, he doesn't care if David's king or Absalom's king. He doesn't care. He doesn't matter who the king is. He cares about himself. He's about money. He sees opportunity in a disaster, in a difficult situation. The boss is in trouble. The neighbor's in trouble. This thing happened. The HOA is in trouble. The homeowners association. Like he just is opportunistic to leverage things to seize wealth at whatever cost. And whoever you have to step on, the cripple, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, doesn't matter. Throw him under the bus and let David, as he's fleeing, think that this guy betrayed David. You don't care. You don't care the friendship that David had with Mephibosheth. You don't care when you're a bold-faced liar that Mephibosheth is going to be grieving and cause great sorrow and anguish of soul yet again in his life because you're a bold-faced liar. And you don't care if you tell him you're coming to get him and you don't because you don't care because you're a bold-faced liar. And you don't care about going before the king. And some people are this bold when they lie. They go right before the king and say a flat-out lie. Look what David says. He goes, where is your master's son? That's a legitimate question because David and Mephibosheth were friends. So Ziba, where, where's, your, where's your master's son? Because the master would have been Jonathan Saul, ultimately the house of Saul. It's a question. Where, where's Mephibosheth? 
He says, oh, he says that the kingdom's going to be restored to me. You talk about throwing someone under the bus. Have you ever been thrown under the bus? Have you ever had someone at work or in your family purposely, volitionally, maliciously throw you under the bus? Bump, 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 back it up and go forward again. It hurts. It hurts a lot when someone lies about you, lies to you, and throws you under the bus. Now, in this case, David, there's a lesson. We talked about this Tuesday night with David. This, there's like, this text is like the book of Proverbs. We need to learn practical things from this chapter. Because it's impossible for you and me to get to 80 and not deal with bold-faced liars. It is possible for us not to be the bold-faced liar. And it's impossible for our kids to get to 80 and not deal with bold-faced liars. Because the world is filled with bold-faced liars. People who deceive, people who twist the truth, deny the truth, make truth a lie, make it a lie a truth because the devil's a father of lies. It's what he does. He calls good evil, evil good. Well, it just to make everything ambiguous and, and not absolute to the point where men get pregnant shows the insanity of how much bold-faced lying is going on on this planet right now and in this country and in the positions of power. So it's impossible for you and I and our kids and our grandkids that we love so much to get through life and not have to deal with bold-faced liars. So we need to help them understand how do you deal with a bold-faced liar. Now, we can choose not to be a bold-faced liar, so we're already presuming that. And you've had those feelings on your own level. There is no worse feeling than when someone lies about you and lies to you, either or or both. It's a terrible feeling. When Jesus stood before his accusers, they lied and they lied and they lied. And they tried to construe these accusations against Jesus. And none of them could stand against him because, of course, Uh, there was no guile within him, as it says in Isaiah 53, that he was innocent and the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. But if you go to the gospel accounts, they're lying. They're trying to, they're throwing anything they can at him. He said this and he said that and he said this and he said tear down the temple and he said that. And so Jesus, whenever we're in a situation where someone is lying to our face or has lied to our face and we realize it and we feel betrayed and defiled by that or um, they lied about us to someone else's face. So see, because in the story of David, it goes both ways, right? Because David is being lied to to his face. So that's happening right there in the context. But Mephibosheth is thrown under the bus and he's being lied about to David. So there's a double, there's a double iniquity. There's iniquity against David to his face. And there's iniquity against Mephibosheth who's being lied about to David. It's a, it's a, it's a daily double for the big lie. And it hurts. And I think in the human experience after 60 years, most of us would agree being lied about or being lied to, it actually, it may not be as evil as a murder or things like that, but there's just something very defiling about when people lie about you to other people or a lie to your face. There is a, a very raw, naked, defiling element to it that just makes you sick. So in this situation, David is... And so often when you're lied to or lied about, you're vulnerable too. David is extremely vulnerable here. His son is coming to replace him as king. 
And so it's not like he's mentally strong. He's not emotionally strong. Like if you're emotionally strong at work and you're emotionally strong in the family gathering and, you know, sometimes when people settle estates and stuff like this, that's where people are vulnerable and this adult sibling is trying to rip off those siblings and they got this legal document and then they did this little shuffling of the feet and winking the eyes and they did this, that, or in the workplace and it happens that way. And like usually when this, something like this happens and the context is this is the way it is, is that you're more vulnerable. Like David's not strong right now. He's not in his throne going like, this guy's an idiot liar. I know that's kind of strong, but you know, he's not strong. David's not strong like looking at, looking at Ziba going like, dude, this guy's a liar. Just look at his face. Guys, is this guy lying or what? He's not in the place of strength in his throne to read it properly. He's vulnerable and he totally believes it. And that's what's kind of scary about this part of the story is David believes the lie. That's a problem with slander and lies is people can choose to believe it. And you could try and spend your whole life trying to put out the brush fires of lies. And what are you going to do? What, what, like really, life is so short and the day only has so many hours. Who has time to try and fight and put out brush fires of lies that could be spoken to us or against us or both. I think David's mistake here, and I do believe there's a mistake for David, is when you're vulnerable, that's when you should be really careful about the type of decisions you make and the decrees you make. Because David is extremely vulnerable, and he it says here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. You know, that was a pretty easy giveaway, wouldn't you agree? Like David just gave away everything that was Mephibosheth without ever talking to Mephibosheth to confirm the validity of this account. We're told in Proverbs, David's son Solomon write years later, the one to plead his cause seems right at first until his neighbor comes and examines him. Solomon would write that a generation later. And in this case, David would have done so well had he just tested. The Bible tells us to test all things, hold fast that which is good. And we know that there's lying signs and wonders. We know that there's all kinds of deception that the father of lies the devil has. And in this case, David didn't cross-check the witness, the evidence. This man came in a flurry with donkeys and fruit and wine and all this stuff and says this about Mephibosheth and says that's the way it is. And David goes, well, you can have everything that's his. Which just reminds us when you're vulnerable, don't make big-time decisions. When you're sick, you probably shouldn't make critical decisions, right? You should wait till you're healthy if you can. How many people take advantage of the elderly when they're sick and flustered and they come in and they get them to sign this, sign this napkin, sign this piece of paper, do this and do that, change his trust, change his estate? It happens all the time. There are tens of thousands of people that wake up every day on planet Earth trying to rip off the elderly on planet Earth, particularly those that live in affluent countries like ours. There are people that wake up in India and these places by the thousands and they go to work and they're calling your parents in assisted living trying to get their social security number and steal their wealth from them and from you. That's what they do. There's great evil on planet Earth and this is what people do. I know because I've ministered to people who've had this happen. Can't tell you how relieved I was when I realized my dad couldn't remember his social security card. And I mean it truthfully. 
He still had a landline, and people would call all the time trying to, at the assisted living, he had a landline. They were calling like, hey, da-da-da-da-da, and they're fishing, and they're fishing, and they're trying to do this, and they're trying to do that. And, I, and I, I, I found out that my dad was getting a lot of calls, and we had the landline for one reason, so my sister could call and say hi to my dad. Call from Florence, say hi to my dad. But I'm like, what's the risk-reward? How vulnerable is my dad to these people trying to rip him off, calling from all over the planet, trying to steal my dad's wealth? What can we do? So dad, dad, hey, dad, what's your birthday? Um, May 4th, 1930. Okay, well, dad, what's your social? It's like, I don't know. Okay, it's fine. Is that okay? Yeah, it's fine, Dad. Don't even worry about it. But we still disconnected the line because you can never underestimate the evil of people who take advantage. My good friend Jimmy, the last four months of his mom's life, this, this guy who did, did this to elderly women over and over and over, he was a con. He got her to sign the napkin when she was sick. That napkin held up in a court of law, half a million dollars, just like that. Jimmy and his brother lost everything, and this con who came out of nowhere in the last five months of his mom's life took everything that she'd saved up for her entire lifetime, which reminds us, not the point of the message tonight, make sure you have a trust, make sure you have a will, make sure you have a power of attorney, a DNR, uh, a medical assist, you know, what to do in a medical situation. If you have anything that's right side up, make sure you protect your wealth so stuff like this can't happen, because these guys, this guy Zeba, he just looks for someone that has something he can take, and he'll take it from them. And if you have kids, you should have someone who gets your kids if you and your spouse die in an accident. Who do you want to raise your kids? You should decide that. That's a very important question. Because you do not want the court of Santa Ana deciding who raises your kids if you and your spouse die in an accident at the same time. We've had this stuff in written form for years and years and years. And you should have a life insurance policy, too, if your wife and kids are still dependent upon you for monthly income as well. But that's another Bible study, but that's a free thought that goes with this. It's worth considering and thinking about. David, you need to test all things and hold fast that which is good. And just because someone pleads the case first doesn't mean it's right. Because more often than not, the people that run in to present their case, they have an agenda. And you, you can always step back and say, now let's hear the other side of this and let's consider this matter. And, and I know this isn't a typical Bible study, but this is the Bible. This is the Word of God. This is 2 Samuel, and this is what happened, and there's a lesson for us in this one. Don't be quick to make huge decisions that affect all kinds of people when you're being deceived and you haven't even checked, and, checked the thing to see if you are being deceived. Now, here's a final thought on this guy. When David comes back and Mephibosheth says, oh, man... Ziba did all this and he did all that and everything. And, and David's like, and you know, David's like so tired of everything. He goes, just, just divide the land. And, Ziba, and uh, Mephibosheth says, I don't even want it. Just let him have it. See, when you get older, the wealth doesn't, <laughs> when you get older, the things that young people fight over, they don't have the same power because time is your more valuable asset than the actual temporal things that you leave behind anyways. Right? For real. So David's like, David's like, Mephibosheth's like, look, look at me. I didn't trim my nails. I didn't do anything. And David, I've been so sad. And David's like, look, just, just split the land. Like David's like, David didn't want to deal with it. I don't want to hear about, I don't want to arbitrate. It's like Jesus and Luke, where they come to Jesus and say, hey, I tell my brother to give me my share. And he goes, who made me an arbitrator over you? And David's the same thing here right now. He's like, I do not want to be an arbitrator over you and Ziba. Just split the land. And Mephibosheth's like, David, I don't even care. I just, I want to continue to sit at your table and be where you're at. 
And that's the heart of a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's the heart of Mary in the New Testament. Because when you think about it, Jesus said of Mary, she desired the one thing that's most desirable, to sit at Jesus' feet and keep learning. And really, in a way, that's what Mephibosheth said to David when David came back. And David said, just split it with Ziba. And Mephibosheth says, I don't even care. I just want to sit at the table where you're at and be in your household and be with you. It's like Mary just being at the feet of Jesus. I don't even care about the land. It doesn't mean anything to me. And that's a person whose heart is in a good place for eternity, by the way. Because Ziva is going to be Ziva. And Ziva is going to connive. He's going to lie. He's going to throw people under the bus. And he's going to do whatever it takes to get as much as he can for his kids, for his servants, for his employees. And in the end, who's going to remember him? He's a bad guy in the Bible. There's nothing from this man's life that we'd say tonight, oh, let's go home and live a life like Ziba. No, he's a bad man. He's a liar. He's a bold-faced liar. And we'd never want to be this person. Oh, but when you live for the temporal, this is what they do. This is what they do. They make their little backdoor deals. They conspire. They wink. They shuffle the feet. They exchange money. I do this. You do that. And this is what they do in places of power. This is what the corporations do with the politicians. Wink, wink, shuffle, shuffle. We all get rich, and the average person gets dumbed down. It's what they do. But it's not what the disciples of Jesus Christ do. We're not bold-faced liars. We do test all things. We do give people the benefit of the doubt, but we do let the Lord show things to us. And we do have the gift of discernment because the Spirit gives us discernment. And we would rather sit at the feet of Jesus than to fight Ziba over all the land that gets left behind anyways when we step into eternity. Do you follow me? Mephibosheth got thrown under the bus and David got lied to his face. And the craziest thing is, Ziba got it all. I mean, Ziba did get it all. Isn't that crazy? All this conniving and lying and all this stuff right here, he still got it all. Like, what if you were, like, from the tribe of Judah, and you're thinking about it, you know, a couple years later, like, how about Ziba? How did that work out? That dude, that dude threw Mephibosheth under the bus, lied to David, and he still got everything. That doesn't seem very fair, does it? Do we ever feel like that, body of Christ, in 2022? Like, a happy ending for us is, like, Ziba loses everything, goes to jail for extortion, lying, and false testimony before the king. No. In this story, in the realm of time, space, and matter, Ziba did win, at least for the temporal. Ziba did deceive David. His plan did work. And Mephibosheth let him have everything shortly thereafter when David came back. So if you're going to let Ziba's success discourage you from righteousness, you're going to have trouble, and so am I. Because sometimes guys like Ziba, they do get away with everything. They get away with everything. They lie to the king and get away with it. They throw Mephibosheth under the bus and get away with it. And they end up with everything. They end up with more than even sought in the first place. And what are you going to do? The closest someone like this guy gets to heaven is this. And the closest someone like Mephibosheth gets to hell is this. So you see, ours is about the eternal kingdom. Ours is throwing up treasures in heaven where thieves and moth do not destroy. Because Ziba is a thief, and he will steal, and he will destroy, and he may end up with everything. Because as I get older, I've been thinking about this. Because when you're 40, you think you might just see justice on planet Earth before you step into eternity. When you're 40, you think like that. Hey, you never know. But when you're 60, you're kind of like, probably not. 
Probably not. We know right and wrong. We know light and darkness. And we know truth and falsehood. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, Shimei is the second guy. This guy, oh my goodness, Shimei. Verse 5. Now, when King David came to Bahurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul. So another guy from Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came, and he threw stones at David and all the servants of the king David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand, on his left. And also Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rude. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you've reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom to the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you're caught in your own evil because you're a bloodthirsty man. Then Abishai, that's Joab's brother, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. And he meant it. He meant it. Verse 10, but the king said, what have I to do with you, sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, curse David. Who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, see how my son who came from my own body seeks my life? How much more may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse? For so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look upon my affliction, that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursing as he went, threw stones at him and kicked up dust. Now the king and all the people with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. So this is guy number two, Shimei. Shimei came out and cursed. So Ziba's the bold-faced liar. He, he's just about self-advancement. He's about the money. He gets everything. And uh, you just got to know there's deceivers like that. You got to test them and not let them come in your world. But this guy, Shimei, is different. This is the in-your-face cursor. He's in-your-face cursing you. This is that woman who curses you to your face. Hey, He's not talking bad behind your back, or she's not talking bad behind your back. She's cursing you to your face. So it's not all shady. This is out in the open. So Zima's a bold-faced bold liar to your face, but Shimei is cursing you to your face. This is that person that comments in social media on everybody's thing. This is that person who thinks their opinion is the only one that matters, and they're going to give theirs no matter what. And it's what they do all day long. Raw Reese just is classic, Pastor Raw. And he has an Instagram account. You know, it's always, it's, yeah. So anyways, he posts stuff. He'll just say stuff. He's like, you know, it's the end of the world. You know, like, uh, this president's an evil man. You know, men don't get pregnant. You know, just all that kind of stuff. And he, he, does, he does all that kind of stuff. And he's got all, he's got people that love him. Like, Raw, you're, you're like, you know, they're like so raw loyal. It's crazy. Like, you know. Manna for today, loyal, like just man. But then there's people that hate his guts. And what I've always found interesting about Raul Reese's uh, social media is he doesn't delete anything. Me, like I get all kinds of ugly stuff. I just go like delete. And if I get him again, I just block. But Raul just leaves it there. You know, some people just leave it there, like 500 comments. Remember when people said some bad things about Brian Broderson on YouTube, whatever, and he had like 30,000 like 30, like people like, ah, and like thousands of all these things against Brian Broderson. I was like, whoa, like who has even time to write this kind of stuff, read this stuff, delete this stuff? Like this is insane. And it's just people pushing buttons. But in Raw's case, 
for some reason, even more so than Brian Broderson, Raw pushes buttons. It just, I don't know, there's something about Raw Reese that just makes some people so hostile toward him. And there's something about Raw Reese that he doesn't care what anyone thinks because he's been to Vietnam War. He's seen his best friends die in his arms. He's been, you know, his wife's had cancer. Like, he's been threatened by uh, communist guerrillas in Colombia. Like, Raw Reese doesn't care. Like, I say I don't care, but Raw Reese really doesn't care. And he has a lot of shimmy eyes that just, that what they do. This is what shimmy eye does. Shimmy eye goes right there and they curse you to your face. They curse you to your face. And shimmy eye is an interesting person because he or she, they don't really have an agenda. Like shimmy eye, like, let's picture David, David, like, so shimmy eye, what can I give you to get you to stop cursing me? Can I give you money? Should I, can we do a settlement like we wronged the House of Saul? Here's a settlement. We get an arbitrator at the county courthouse. You get $50,000. You quit cursing me. You don't put comments on my social media. We, we shake hands and call it even. No, Shimei is not like that. We all know Shimei. Shimei doesn't care about the money. Shimei just wants to curse. Shimei is going to give his opinion no matter what. Shimei wants to humiliate you and me and anything good and decent, just, noble, and praiseworthy. Shimei has TV shows with other Shimeis. And they sit around at a table, and all they do is curse everything that's good, true, just, noble, and praiseworthy. That's what they do. And if you say, oh, God, silence them all, they'll just, another Shimei will just raise up and replace them. They'll cast another Shimei. Open auditions in New York City today. Who wants to be Shimei in our new morning show? Shimei has come out of everywhere. You never get rid of Shimei. See, the problem is, if you're Brian Broderson or Raw Reese or Joey Brand or anyone else trying to figure out what to do with Shimei, the best thing you can do with Shimei is nothing. You got to ignore Shimei. There's nothing you can do about me. I say, the Lord's allowed Shimei. Like David. David's like, Abishai's like, I'll tell you what we do with Shimei. We cut his head off. David's like, oh, please stop. Don't you realize you kill this Shimei, there's another Shimei coming right over the foothill behind him. If you try and execute Shimei, you strike down one Shimei, they multiply. Two Shimei's, four Shimei's, eight Shimei's. It's like a bad movie. It's like a kaleidoscope of Shimei's. They just keep coming like a nightmare you can't get out of. So what can you do? Shimei is not going away. And what's so interesting about Shimei, again, when David comes back to the promised land after his exile, there's Shimei. And Shimei is like, hey, it's all just a big misunderstanding. I have sinned. <laughs> you know, because Shimei will always say he's sorry when he's fighting for his life. Shimei says, I've sinned. I- I've sinned. I've was- sinned. Ever said what I said, so please forgive me. And David's like, whatever. Abishai's <laughs> like, dude, now let's, right now. Let's just execute this guy right now. And David's like, ah, oh, Abishai, have you learned nothing yet? You wanted to kill him when we're leaving? You want to kill him when we're coming back? Abishai, don't you realize I'm the king? That's what David says. He goes, Abishai, have you not yet realized the kingdom is restored to me? Abishai, I'm the king. This guy is nothing. This guy is nothing. This guy is going to always exist on planet Earth. He's going to live next door to you. She's going to be in the cubicle next to you. She's going to be in the car on the freeway next to you. They're going to be your boss. They're going to be your employee. Shimei never leaves planet Earth until Jesus comes back and establishes his righteous reign on planet Earth. As long as there are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, Shimei will exist. 
and he'll exist, she'll exist in our world. And as much as you want to go Abishai, or we want to go Abishai, or I want to go Abishai, that'll never solve the problem. Because there's always another Shimei. There's always another Shimei. And when we have a Shimei in our life, someone cursing us, just undermining us, trying to discredit us, they're, they're doxing us, they're, they're canceling us, it's just, you just, and you're like, when's this ever going to end? It may never end as long as you're alive. Shimei may share a room with you when you're in memory care. Although you probably won't even know it at that time, so it won't be so brutal. <laughs> Shimei is going to be there to the end. Because again, when you're younger, you think like, hey, you know, we could just execute one or two Shimei's and life will be good. Actually, they just never... We have to learn from David. We learn from David's mistake with Ziba. Test all things. Don't just presume the first report. But here with Shimei, we have to realize, because David did handle Shimei, right? It's like, look, you guys, stop it. What David is saying, I'll paraphrase, I'm secure in who I am on planet Earth. I'm secure in what God's called me to do. And I'm focused on what I need to do. I don't have time to execute Shimei, and neither do you. The best thing you can do with Shimei is ignore him. Shimei does not know what to do when you ignore Shimei. And the best thing you can ever do is ignore Shimei. But it is tempting to go Abishai because Abishai can execute Shimei. And if Shimei just is drip, 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 drip all the time in your life, you're like, you know what? I'm feeling like Abishai today. But you need to, we need to be like David and just go, you know what? The Lord's allowed it. Let it go. Just let that go. Let that go. Let that go. Let that go. I find it very, ama- very uh, fascinating and amazing that when David came back, he just, he didn't really acknowledge Shimei. He was like, I've sinned. I'm so sorry. And David was like, excuse me. Just, just. Abishai's like, oh. you know, but nothing ever happened. And then before David dies, he tells Solomon, look, that Shimei guy, he's a crafty dude. Don't let him leave the city because he'll lead a rebellion against your reign. So if he leaves the city, then do whatever you need to do. Deal with it. But otherwise, just ignore it. And then Shimei agreed after David died. So in David's entire lifetime, Shimei lived down the street cursing him. Privately, for sure, probably. Maybe for sure. I don't know. But David let him live. But then he warned Solomon after he stepped into eternity, this guy could be trouble. And Solomon held Shimei accountable. And then in the end, Shimei agreed to the terms by which he could live a, a good, peaceful life with Solomon, and then he violated those terms, and Solomon had him executed. So Shimei actually was eventually executed under the reign of Solomon. But really, Solomon and Shimei is a different story, because this is David's Shimei's story. What happens when you and I are gone from planet Earth? What's that mean to you and me? Like the Bible says, better is a living dog than a dead lion. <laughs> What's that mean to you and me? Our grandkids will figure it all out when we're gone. The next generation, Z, they'll figure it out. If they really think a man gets pregnant and they're going to run the planet in 20 years, well, they'll, they'll just have to figure it out. And hopefully our grandkids will be smarter than that to know how to truly figure it out with the Lord. So with Shimei, David never did deal with Shimei. The Lord didn't deal with Shimei when David was alive because, you know, the Lord could take Shimei. Shimei could have a stroke. Shimei could have a heart attack. None of those things happen. David's last day is like, hey, look at him. There's Shimei in the marketplace. <laughs> that guy. 
and David stepped into eternity, and Shimei was Solomon's issue, which means it's really the Lord's issue. We get so worked up over things that won't even matter when we step into eternity. We need to test Ziba and make sure that guy doesn't keep us from the good things of the kingdom. And we need to know what the truth is and not let lies surround our universe. And with Shimei, just got to, we got to ignore him and know that the Lord's allowed him. Because David even said the Lord's allowed him. Why are we even going to take him on? And then finally we have Ahithophel. And we close with him, verse 15. Meanwhile, absent all the people, the men of Israel came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with them. Ahithophel was David's chief counselor. And so it was when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, long live the king, long live the king. So Absalom said to Hushai, Absalom said to Hushai, is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, no, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel chooses his I will be in with the men, uh, him I will remain. So that was all part of the plan from the previous chapter that Hushai would do this. He's a legend. He's undercover for David. Verse 19. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? As I've served in your father's presence, so I will be in your presence. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, give advice as to what we should do. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines, whom he's left to keep the house, and all Israel hear that you are abhorred by your father, then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the hill, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now, the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. So now, this is our final guy of the three, Ahithophel. Now, Ahithophel was David's trusted counselor. He was Bathsheba's grandfather. So remember when David, you know, took Bathsheba from Uriah, that was Ahithophel's granddaughter. So we have reason to believe that Ahithophel was filled with bitterness against David for what happened with Bathsheba all those years, and this presented the opportunity to get back at David. So Ziba was a bold-faced liar and threw everyone under the bus. He's motivated by his self-promotion and wealth. Shimei will curse you to your face. He doesn't care about money. He just wants to give his opinion, and he's a cackling fool, and that's all there is to it. You can delete him. You can block him, but you don't execute him because there's just another one when he or she goes away. They'll just replace by another one in the human experience. But this guy, the betraying counselor, hit the fell. He is the one that really hurts, and he's the most dangerous one. Because he's not out front, he's in the dark places, and he's conspiring against you, and his conspiracies are good conspiracies. You know, some criminals are bad criminals. Some criminals are bad criminals. They get caught all the time. Some criminals are really good criminals, and they don't get caught. In fact, they use the laws to be criminals. That's a really smart criminal, and they're out there, and they're, they're smart. There are some very brilliant evil men on planet Earth. There are some very brilliant evil women on planet Earth. And they, they do great evil. They do such great evil against the heart of God, against the mind of God, against the purposes of God, against everything good and decent in God's universe. And they concoct, they plot, they conspire, and they plan evil from sunrise to sunset with the help of the Antichrist, the devil himself, helping them. In fact, the whole planet we know is moving toward one person with all the power of Satan, 
using all this human brilliance, because we are creating God's image, our brains are amazing, and using all the thought processes of our brains that have billions and billions of cells and all these things doing that's insane, using all of it for evil, and it's coming. It's coming to planet Earth. Because the Bible says he's coming to planet Earth. Jesus says he's coming to planet Earth. The Holy Spirit, through the apostles, says he's coming to planet Earth. And the book of Revelation is all about when he pretty much comes in full strength to planet Earth. So the thing about Ahithophel is he's conspiring great evil with great brilliance in the secret places against righteousness and things that are good. King David. King David is a type of Jesus. And though someone like Ahithophel would reject that reign of David, like the Antichrist and the world reject the reign of Christ, ultimately Christ will reign, and all the evil of evil men plotting with all their billions will not prevail. And here's the thing about Ahithophel that's very fascinating. It says that when you, when you inquired of Ahithophel, verse 23, it was this inquiring of the oracle of God. This man had the anointing of God upon his life. And as long as he was in obedience to God, his existence on planet Earth served its purpose. He spoke the word of God for God to the king of God, King David. But the moment, this is important, because this is going to send us home feeling good. The moment that Ahithophel's counsel was no longer for light and righteousness and truth, but actually for darkness and wickedness and falsehood, his purpose to exist ceased. He is, instead of being blessed of the Lord for the Lord, he's now fighting the Lord. And ultimately, when Absalom will reject his counsel, he will go home and hang himself. He will commit suicide. He will take his life because he realized once he's lost it, he's lost the power, his purpose, it's gone. It's like Judas. Once he betrayed Jesus, that was it. That was it. And here's the encouraging thought about the plots of Ahithophel. Because there are many Ahithophels plotting evil against you and me every day because we love Jesus. They're trying to change times and seasons, laws. They're trying to take that which is true and make it false. They're trying to take that which is false and make it true. They're, they're, they're calling good evil and evil good. We know this. I mean, again, just the insanity. I, you know, I don't talk about it much. You hope I don't get sick anytime soon because you want to hear me get up here and talk about men thinking they're pregnant. I understand. But the insanity. But there's a purpose behind it. You see, if men, if you can say men are pregnant, then, then you can remove everything that's absolute in God's universe of right and wrong. Because if the most obvious thing of a man or a woman is no longer in play, then there's no absolutes. And that's really, it's not a communist manifesto, it's a demonic manifesto. To completely delude the planet in such a way that no one believes the truth anymore and everyone believes a lie. Which is exactly what the Bible tells us is going to happen in the end game. And we're told in 2 Thessalonians that the whole world will believe this delusion because they rejected the truth.
And the good news in all of this is that just because people like Ahithophel are plotting and planning great evil against the righteous King David and those who follow the true King David, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, and they are plotting evil. And they're, they're plotting all these things they can do and conspiring against what's true, just, noble, praiseworthy. They're trying to cancel us if we think, if we think that transgenderism is wrong. They're trying to cancel us because we think unborn babies should be protected because it's the most vulnerable place you can be in a mother's womb. And they're trying to cancel us and remove us from planet Earth and our opinion to speak on these things in the marketplace of thought. And it would seem that they're winning because they seem to control all the venues of information. So they shame and they try and cancel. But you cannot cancel Jesus Christ and his return. And you cannot cancel absolute truth, which is in Jesus Christ. And this is the beauty of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of the word of God and the hope of heaven for all the disciples of Jesus Christ. Earth is not our home. Heaven is our home. And we represent Christ on this planet no matter how crazy, no matter how insane it all gets. But know this, of all the plotting and evil, Psalm 2 best describes it. Why do the people rage and plan a vain thing against the Lord and his anointed? It will come to nothing because the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of men and the weakness of God is greater than the strength of men. And so all the Hithophels combined together on planet earth with the Antichrist himself under all the power of the devil and the false prophet of the devil cannot change the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. He loves his church more than any entity in the universe. You and I gather here tonight under his blood, sealed by his spirit, that he's coming in glory, and there'll be a day when we don't remember any of this. And the good news is no matter what Ahithophel ever plots or plans behind closed doors, it will never prosper against the spirit of God and the truths of God in his universe. So we don't need to be moved. It is exasperating. It is frustrating. It, it, it's insane. I mean, it really is insane. But it's, been, it's just been progressively getting more insane that we don't even blink that it is so insane. I mean, it's just crazy. But it's, it's, it's not really, it's not at all the end, it's just the beginning. Because it, it, it shows us how God speaks the truth before it happens, the future before it happens. And we know that this is the delusion. And we know that no matter how delusional the devil and the Antichrist can make the planet, Truth will always be truth. And, and Christ is coming. And he will set this straight. And this will all be like a bad dream in a di different dimension when this is said and done. But until this time, it's like the Chronicles of Narnia in the last battle. We have to stand. And we have to be faithful. And if you're canceled, you're canceled. But make sure you're canceled for truth. And make sure you're canceled for Jesus Christ. Don't be canceled for just any random reason. Jesus said, if the world hates you, don't be surprised. They will hate you because they hated me. And so now is a time for the church of Jesus Christ to not be unsettled by bold-faced liars who lie to our face, by cursors who curse us to our face, or plotting brilliant minds who undermine every good thing that's decent, true, noble, and praiseworthy in, on planet Earth and in this country but rather to know that Christ is in control and there's work to be done. And until he calls us home, he's not done.